Today's show is sponsored by our good friends over at Tortuga Backpacks. Whether you're hopping on a plane, a train, a bus, or whether you're road tripping through the American West in your car, their Tortuga Backpack is the backpack for you. I've had mine for the last two years. I absolutely love it. So if you're in the market or you're looking for a new backpack, make sure you check out TortugaBackpacks.com. And don't forget, use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, and you will get 10% off your entire order. Also, one of the greatest things about traveling, as most of you who travel know, is getting to meet the people in a local area. And if you're familiar at all with the Nepal earthquake that just happened, my good buddy and co-host who comes on here sometimes, Jason, did a fantastic episode on trekking in Nepal. And I myself have never been to Nepal, but what we've decided to do between our two podcasts is put the call out for people to donate to Earthquake Relief. So if you're listening to this and you haven't donated or you want to donate, you can actually do it really easily. You can donate to globalgiving.org simply by sending a text message from a U.S. mobile phone. All you have to do is text Give Nepal to 80088. That will donate $10 to the Nepal Earthquake Relief Fund. Of course, you can go to globalgiving.org as well and make a donation of any amount that you want or donate through any other means. But we just wanted to put that out there as a really easy way for people who are listening to podcasts, might not have a lot of time to go on their computer or something like that, to do that right from your mobile phone. Of course, anything that you donate, we really, really appreciate it and we will be donating ourselves. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 161. In Iowa, pigs outnumber humans four to one. You could say they're hogging all the space. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show you London afternoon. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me is author, ice cream lover, and someone who is not a good enough skier to get caught in an avalanche, Brandon Leonard of Semirad.com and author of Funny in the Woods and the New American Road Trip Mixtape. Brandon, thanks so much for joining me today, and welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And Brandon, I'm definitely not good enough to even consider getting caught in an avalanche, but I'm just bad enough to possibly blow out my knee while skiing. Explain what you mean by not being good enough to get caught in an avalanche, because I think that kind of encapsulates your whole website. Yeah, I guess uh, I I was looking to start a blog or some sort of brand, I guess, in 2011 and realized I wasn't really that good at anything like high-level achievement in the outdoor world. I mostly climb uh, do some mountaineering and, but, you know, I think, I think for a long time, the focus in the outdoor industry was on people who are at the upper end of that scale. And yeah, I don't ski steep enough stuff to ideally it's not steep enough to, to slide in an avalanche. And yeah, it's just kind of been, been the MO of the entire website. And I found out that people really kind of identify with that or at, le- at least some people. Um, and it's, 
gotten a pretty good readership because of because of that ethos. You know, it's kind of like, well, we're none of us are gonna you know break records or, or be famous, but we can still focus on having the most fun possible. So I guess that's what I've focused on the entire time. I've been it's worked so far. I'm not getting any better at anything <laughs> either. So that's yeah. I mean, if you got too good at something, then you wouldn't be able to be writing the same site, right? No, I'd have to start, have to start a new website, I guess, or buy, buy a new URL. It ha- yeah, it'd have to be totally rad then. Yeah, right. Fortunately, I, I don't train enough, or maybe I just don't have the drive, or it, it doesn't look like it's progressing at all. So it's safe, safe for now. So yeah. And what you write about then on the site is about this outdoor lifestyle. It's about, it's about climbing and skiing and kind of just being outdoors, but doing it from a regular person's perspective. What was your life like growing up? Were you always outdoors? Were you always doing things like that? Or is that something you've come into on your own? No, yeah. I, I grew up in Iowa, and there's not a, not a lot of public land there. So basically, I grew up playing uh, you know basketball and, and football and stuff like that and uh, moved to Montana when I was 23 to go to grad school and uh, went into the mountains for the first time just like hiking and a little backpacking and kind of was blown away thought, oh this is this is where I need to be you know um, and from there it progressed and I started rock climbing and uh, I'd, I'd skied a little bit as a kid a couple trips to Colorado with my family um, and done a little bit of hiking but when I moved west as an adult, I'd found you know this is this is a place I feel really really good and kind of became a new identity. I did you know this is almost going on I guess a little over a decade of just spending as much free time as possible in the mountains or the desert in the outdoors you know doing some sort of you know it's it's all travel it's all methods of travel whether you're climbing a, a you know an eighty foot rock climbing route or you know, going out for three days on your mountain bike with, with all your stuff strapped to your your bike frame. You know, it's all it's all traveling. It's all seeing terrain and exploring things within yourself and with your friends. And I cannot seem to run out of stories about it. So, yeah, I was just in Colorado two days ago, and I was amazed that there were so many people who were outdoors. I've been to Colorado before, and I've I've kind of seen that, but it really specifically hit me because it was starting to get nice, right? It, or starting to get warm enough that people could be out. And I was I was in Breckenridge and they had this outdoor skate park. And I just biked down there and there's 60 people out skateboarding and little kids and older people. Well, not too old, but you know, people in their 20s and 30s and all. And it struck me because coming from the East Coast, I think I have a similar background to you where we go outside and we play sports, but being outdoors and kind of just being in amongst the outdoors and doing these individual activities isn't really part of the lifestyle. Do you think there's a reason for that? I'd love to hear your thoughts on because I have a few of my own, but I'm not sure I'm right in why it it permeates some societies, especially like out in Colorado and other places in the U.S. It's not really as much of a thing. Boy, I feel like it's almost purely, you know, the landscape that you have access to. And I mean, it's not true for everyone in Denver or, you know, Salt Lake or Phoenix or, or any of these places, you know, like, you know, lots of people who live in this city don't go west very far. They don't go into the mountains, you know, and there's 3 million people in the greater Denver metro area. And despite what you may think when you go skiing on a, on a busy Saturday or, or go climbing at a crag on a busy Saturday, there, all those 3 million people are not out there. But 
I mean, for me personally, it's really hard to just be like, yeah, I'll join a gym and, you know, do spin classes or something like that. When we have, I mean, we have 300 days of sunshine here a year. Um, we're six hours from Moab, you know, like 12 hours from the Grand Canyon. Even if you don't like to ski, you can drive over the Continental Divide and be in the desert and go mountain biking or climbing or backpacking. I think for for me that that access is incredible. You can forget that the outdoors are out there when you're in the middle of a city like like New York uh, or Chicago. I mean, even then they have great great park systems. You know, like Central Park is amazing. Um, but for me, just having the landscape there too. I mean, you can leave here. You know, in 65 minutes you can be skiing at the you know base elevation of 11,000 feet. 90 minutes you can be at one of the best trailheads in Rocky Mountain National Park and snowshoes, ski, you know, alpine rock climbing, hiking, you know, and that's, that's pretty good access to, to really big mountains. You know, I mean, we're not like, we're not butted right up against them, like in Salt Lake or, or some other, some other places like that. But, you know, to be able to drive out of your driveway at 5,000 feet and, you know, be at a trailhead that's at 11,000 feet in, in an hour or two and then start hiking is, it gets you into some pretty big terrain pretty, pretty quickly. And I think when I first started going into the mountains, it's a, it's a completely different kind of fitness. You know, you can, you can run hills or whatever, but there's, there's nothing that really gets you ready for a day of like hiking up like 4,000 feet of elevation gain. You know, like it's a, it's a really different type of thing. And I think I'm just now mentally understanding how, how long that actually takes and how to, how to pace myself a little bit, but boy, the first few times you come out and try to do something like that, it's, I'll take a hundred steps and then I'll stop and then I'll take 50 steps and then I'll stop and catch my breath and stuff like that. But yeah, we just have access. We have great weather and it's, I mean, despite, I think you were here last weekend it was not great weather, great weather for skiing, but not for driving or anything else. But it's, it's pretty hard to feel like you're stuck inside or and it's also pretty hard to stay inside to exercise, in my opinion. Right. Well, I'm glad that I don't have to blame myself then. I can blame my parents for raising me on the East Coast. But I think you're so right in that it's so hard to stay inside. I mean, it, I think some of it is the culture as well. Like the everyone else is out doing that. And so, you know, my first time I came out to Colorado and I was hanging out with a buddy and, you know, it was like, what are we going to do today? I don't know. Let's just go to a trail and, and let's drive this trail or, or go to this trail that's right here and hike. And if I was home on the East Coast, if I was in Philadelphia, I wouldn't be doing those types of things. You know, it it's almost seems like an effort to say, oh, well, let's go here and hike because you have to drive far or it's not even that cool. You know, the scenery is not as great, whatever it is. You know, I kind of blame myself the first couple of times I was out in Colorado, like, why aren't you more like this? But as I come out more, I realize you, you turn into that some. And I think that it's neat to hear me say or me hear you say that you were from Iowa. That wasn't really ingrained in you either. You had this, hey, let's be outside to play sports mentality. But now now that you're there in Colorado, things have started to change. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I mean, sometimes it's hard to, you know, you ask, you want to get together with somebody and you're just not feeling it. You just want to get a burrito, but you, you can't. They're like, oh no, <laughs> let's do this. And they're like, oh really? Come on. You know, I mean, I could, we could just sit and talk and eat, but no, okay, that's fine. But yeah, in, in every, in every way too. And like the travel, especially too, like it's, it's a, there's a, 
culture of that here, I, t- I think, too, where, you know, like, and you know this, if you've been to Boulder, like, it's funny how how many people you know that have gone, you know, are going to South America at one in one year or the next year or whatever. We met these kids one time when we were in Joshua Tree climbing. I forget where they were from. I think they were Belgian kids. And like, yeah, the entire time they said, they said, you guys are from Colorado. And I said, yeah. And they said, they said, are you from, do you live in Boulder? And I said, no, we, we, uh, you know, we stayed mostly in Denver when we were there. We lived, you know, and the kids said, oh, I, when I was in South America, every single American I met was from Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. I guess. It's a different feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, if that's your social circle, you, you think to yourself, well, I should be going to South America too, you know, or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good culture. I, I feel lucky to have landed in a place where we have both that access weather and then kind of the bigger, the bigger spectrum, uh, the bigger ideas of the, it's not a big deal to drive six hours to Moab for a weekend, you know, for just 48 hours. Whereas it, it might be different in other areas of the country. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think that's a huge difference as well. The people you meet kind of not force you to do it, but it just becomes routine or normal because they're doing it. And also the idea of, putting six hours. Uh, my buddy who I was with in Boulder actually is going to Moab. So that's a perfect example. He's like, oh, we're just going to drive and we're going to go camping. And they're going for a couple days. You know, It's like three or four days. It's more than a, a weekend. But you know, if someone on the East Coast is saying, hey, let's go, let's go drive six hours for a weekend, you'd look at them crazy and you'd think, like, why, why are we driving six hours? Why aren't we driving two hours or one hour or something like that? And so it's just a mind shift. And, and I think it's really neat because a lot of what you talk about on your site is the mindset behind doing things. And, you know, you, I'm sure you always hear it. I always hear it. You hear the excuse, I can't do this because blank, blank, blank. And, you know, the, this can be anything. It can be climbing outdoors. It can be skiing. It can be starting a website, writing a book, whatever it is. But you kind of tell people like, hey, you can do it. Like, just just do it. And that is that is the ethos of, of a lot of stuff that you write. Have you ever felt that way about certain things about you know you're making excuses and then what have you kind of done to get past them like what have you felt like you couldn't do that then you did do oh I, yeah i think that's a constant just battle for for everybody you know like i mean you can you can believe the world is one way and you're you know and you can't do this and you can't do that because of because of certain circumstances and the i mean the reality is if if you're working a white collar job and you were you know in your middle class in America, you're, you're on third base already. You know, I think if you have your health and everything, you know, everybody's situation is different, but for the large part, I try not to be limited by what, what I think is, you know, what I'm supposed to do or, you know, like the safe thing. I'm a full-time freelance writer now. I've been doing it for, well, I guess almost, almost four years, well, over four years, I guess. You know, I come from a pretty responsible background growing up in the Midwest. You know, you go to college, get a job. That's the that's the standard, the things that you do to, to become an adult. And I've somehow screwed up most of that, I guess. So I'm like 36 now and I still have never owned a suit and don't have a house. So it's hard to get that mindset out. But, you know, moving moving west and getting into the outdoor industry, especially in the creative side of the outdoor industry I started meeting people who were like they don't really have a real job they have a collection of gigs that they do or they work a seasonal 
gig for five months of the year and then they spend the rest of the year traveling or, or climbing or living out of their car or whatever it is or they or they work in a ski resort town and uh, the winter up here and then they they go down to South America and work in a different one for the rest of the year or whatever um, it really opens your mind up to things and I guess some of the, my biggest battles have been trying to make decisions that seemed like you know those things you're always like, yeah, one day I'll do blank. You know, I'll start my own business, or I'll I'll just leave and live out of my car for for a few months, or I'll buy that plane ticket, put it on a credit card, and hopefully I'm able to pay it off or whatever. And I, I reached this period in my life about three years, ago, four years ago almost, where I was working remotely. This is the story that starts out the my book, the New American Road Trip mixtape. I was working remotely um, for a large software company doing copywriting. Um, so I was working from home, um, and I had arranged to have five weeks off for a big trip, sabbatical, basically, which they were very nice and, and told me that was okay. And I was supposed to be meeting you know, my, my girlfriend at the time there on the trip, um, and she came home from a different trip, and we broke up. So our apartment was ending, and I said, okay, well, I guess I'll just go pack my stuff into my car and go climbing for a little while. Um, and it was just like a vacation, you know, I'd done these little like nine or 10 day road trips before leaving from Denver and going all, all around the American Southwest and stuff. And this became a really huge, like guy who needs some time to think about things, driving, looking over the steering wheel type of thing. And, uh, at the end of it, I, I was in, uh, Jackson, Wyoming, not at the end of it, at the end of my five weeks, I was in Jackson, Wyoming. I was like, okay, I got to got to report back to work on Monday, you know, like I got to check back in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm here. And I took a conference call for my job and I was, I was in this coffee shop and I was like, man, it's really loud in here. So I went out to my car and took the conference. One of the people I was talking to, I think was in an office in San Francisco and the other one was in Chicago. And we, we talked about this project I was going to work on. And this is for, this is for a large, large company, like 400,000 people. Like, and I'm just like this little cog and, you know, the guy who's going to type up this one document or whatever and write, you know, inject the company voice. Right. It. And I just had this epiphany where I'm like sitting in the passenger seat of my smelly car. I hadn't showered for like nine days. I'd just gotten back from a backpacking trip and there were tourists walking by. And I was like, these people on the phone have no idea where I am right now. Like there is a possibility that I could get away with this if I actually just tried to work from the road. <laughs> and I thought I was thought about it. And I'm like, this is a really insane idea that, you know, like you wouldn't have a home base and you would just try to, try to do this as long as you can get away with it. And I'm like, okay. So I make this decision. I'm like, instead of going back to Denver, I think I'm going to drive to Seattle on Saturday and, and go see some friends. And what became you know, a six month story that's in that book and then continued on for almost three years. And I, I guess what I'm saying is basically I've, that was kind of the turning point in my life where I decided that if I made a decision that was, you know, you have the secure decision on one hand and then you, you know, theoretically not safe. And once I started making the decisions where it was like, follow your heart, make the decision that is, seems risky that's when things started really paying off for me. So I've tried to do that within reason ever since then. And it's always paid off, which is like saying yes to opportunities, trying to do things, even though you might not be able to pull them off, you know, like, can I get all my work done before I go leave for a month in the Grand Canyon? Uh, that's really scary and super hectic. But if I do it, you know, if I pull it off, it'll be rewarding. And it's, 
it's paid off. I've gotten away with it so far in a large respect. So <laughs> I guess that's the, the one lesson uh, that I've had. And the interesting part about that too is, you know, when you're doing it, obviously when you're sitting in your car and you have that epiphany and you think, man, I can do this from anywhere. And it is scary because, you know, you're like, well, wait, I'm not supposed to be doing it. Or maybe you don't even know if you're supposed to be doing it. But the interesting part to me about all that too is if there was a way that we could get out of our own way and look at it from a broad perspective and say, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like, let's say someone finds out that I'm conference calling from Seattle and not from my apartment in Denver because you can work remotely anyway. Are they going to fire me? Maybe, but probably not. Maybe they'll just tell you, like, you have to be in Denver for whatever reason. It's so funny how big the decisions are in the moment. And and it's great because they, they then spur us on to do other things. But a lot of times, too, if we were able to look at it from an outsider perspective or from a broad perspective, we could say, like, this... Like, just do it. Like, it wouldn't be so scary because you'd realize, well, yeah, something probably drastically wrong is not going to happen if I go to Seattle. But you can only know that after you do it because we can't get out of our own way a lot of times. Right, right. And I think that's that's so many people's and mine. You know, like, it's always, it's most of what keeps you from really progressing, you know, or, or following whatever dream it is you have, you know. And, you know, it's it, there's a thousand motivational posters and motivational quotes that you can hang on your wall, and if you don't just do it, it's those are kind of meaningless, I guess. But yeah, it's it's I don't know those those big risks seem small in retrospect, but boy, at the time they're they're pretty pretty yeah. big deal, I guess. And yeah. I you made a really good point too. I think that once you make one, and it doesn't have to be a major risk. Like I'm not telling people out there and, and everyone who listens knows that we talk about this a lot on the show. I'm not telling you that you have to jump off the cliff and say, oh, I've got this great job. I'm going to I'm gonna leave it today and I'm going to go do something crazy. I mean, if that is the only way you're ever going to go do it, then maybe that is the way. But you can, you can kind of work your way into it. And I think a lot of people forget that. They forget that they can take small steps or at least start doing small things that then lead to big changes down the road. Because once you make the first decision, as you, as you pointed out, you just kind of then your attitude shifts, even if it is a small thing. You say, all right, well, next time, if there's one that I think is riskier, but better for me, I'll do that as well. And then next time and the next time, and all of a sudden, you're now doing kind of whatever you want and it's working out. I think a lot of people don't realize that they can they can do that on a small level and that once they do, it becomes... I would say it doesn't become less scary because I know there's times in my life that I've had to make the decision that I'm still a baby about it, right? I'm still worried. Right. But it but you then actually make the decision to do it as opposed to not do it at least. Yeah, I'd say it, it becomes, you know, addictive and it's not addictive. It's not addictive, but it's like it becomes a new way of thinking for you anyway. And like I don't know, I just think we have this we have this idea of security in maybe maybe in the world, but most I think a lot in America and it's I was just talking to a friend the other day, and I, I think I used the phrase "some sort of financial security," and he goes, "There's no such thing as financial security." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, like, there's the stock market. You know, you could get some sort of like illness where you have to have a major operation. It's not covered. You know, like, there's all these things that can happen. Whether you have five grand in the bank or five hundred grand in the bank, it, you can all go away in a second. And like, there's this famous study that my my buddy told me about a long time ago, where if it was a uh, they asked people of all income levels how much more money they would need to be truly happy. And across the board, I think the highest income that somebody had in the study was like $80,000. So it's people between like 20 and 80,000, but every single person, like the median was basically, if I had $12,000 more per year, 
I would be hmm. happy, you know? So we're all like thinking that we need more money and more security. And like the reality is it's just a, a moving target, you know, like my parents are at the point right now, they're about to retire um, in about a year. And my dad keeps saying, well, we're going to wait till October. And, and then, you know, next time I talked to him, he said, I think I'm going to talk your mom into retiring in July instead, like, you know, a few months earlier. Sweet, Dad. Just die three months earlier. It's cool, you know. <laughs> right. He still hasn't laughed at that joke, but, like, you know, you're, you're like, trying to calculate how much money you'll need for the, for the end of your life or, or how much, you know, how that's going to work out. And it's, it's a funny game we play, and I, I don't know everything, and it's sure been rewarding to, to do those things. Like, I guess the circles I run in, I did end up, I ended up quitting a, I had a great, very secure job with this software company where I was like working 40 hours a week, guaranteed paycheck, health insurance. You know, I had, I had dental and vision insurance for the first time in my life. <laughs> like, wow, that's amazing. You know, like, and I was raking in a ton of money at the time. And on the side, I was getting some outdoor writing gigs, you know, to the point where I could maybe make a pretty okay living. You know, it'd be a massive pay cut and nothing would be guaranteed pitch work and stuff like that. And this is, I guess, three, almost three years ago um, this summer. And I finally just said, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. I think I have enough side gigs that I can make a full-time job out of this. And I was at my friend's house in Salt Lake and he, he works for um, a climbing equipment manufacturer, runs their, uh, their testing program, but we've been friends for a long time and climbing, climbing partners. And I was staying at his house and he came home from work one day and he said, how's your day, man? I said, I was good. I, uh, quit my job. I, I uh, shipped my computer back to the, the tech, you know, the <laughs> software company. He, he just goes, man, congratulations. That's so awesome. <laughs> but this is the type of people you hang out with that when you quit your safe, secure job, you know, they congratulate you, you know, like right. not even like congratulations on your new job. Congratulations on retirement. Congratulations on quitting that job that didn't actually make you happy. And right. They get it. And it's congratulations basically on freedom or at least taking the step towards that that you want to right now. And I, I think another thing that people forget with all that is you have this safe, secure job, you quit it. I know for me, whenever I'm trying to make these big decisions, I always think, all right, if I take this route, I'm going to be giving up on this, you know, or this is going to be harder. But it's hard to see the the rewards that you're going to get. I mean, I you know that obviously the freedom is going to be better, and oh, I can set my own hours if I'm my own boss and things like that. But you also don't realize the types of skills and the kind of the way your personality is going to change, and that you're going to become better at figuring things out and doing it on your own. And, you know, it's it's hard to see all the positives. You kind of just, a lot of times, even if you've done it a lot, like both of us have, you still focus on, all right, what am I losing out on? And it's still hard to push yourself over the edge. Although I could say like in the last four years that I've been doing my own thing, I've learned more in those four years than I did in the first 28 years of my life. But even knowing that, it's hard to make a decision sometimes. Right. Yeah. I mean, the growth that happens and like, yeah, when, when you have to, you're incredibly efficient when, uh, when you're responsible for your own paycheck. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And there's some study or psychological fact too that when you're, when you're uh, wrestling with a big decision, whether it's like getting divorced or, uh, you know, to take a new job or stay with your old job, there's this, uh, I forget what it's called where your brain actually 
like a year later return, you know, regardless of which decision you make, you will be at the same level of happiness. You know, it just, your brain basically talks you into thinking that you made the right decision, which, which if you think about all the decisions you made in your life, if you, if you have a ton of regret about some things, it's not true. But most of the time it's like, yeah, I sure am glad I, you know, passed up that blank or went, you know, went this route instead. So it's like, either decision is the right decision, which is right. just even an even worse thing to know when you're, when you're, <laughs> you're going into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- thanks brain for uh, letting us make maybe the wrong decision, but deluding us into thinking we're making the right one. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> one of the, uh, the major issues with this just going out and kind of doing what you want to do, you know, and, and again, I hear, you know, people make these excuses. I can't do this because blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times that because is friends, family, you know, their support system, people saying, hey, you're crazy for doing this or you're crazy for leading an unconventional life. Because in all honesty, we're talking about doing it and we've both done it. And I can understand what you're saying. You can understand what I'm saying. You know, for ninety percent of the people, what we're talking about is unconventional and is different. Have you encountered that with, with some people in your support system saying, like, you know, why are you doing this, Brandon? Like, you're leaving this job. I mean, you said your buddy was all gung ho, and that's great. And sometimes we, we're lucky that we have those support systems. But have there been people that have said, "Oh man, maybe you shouldn't be doing this," or like, "Or what are you doing? You're you're thirty six. Come on, man, get a real job." Type thing. Yeah, I, f- I feel like, and, and maybe your social circle is like this as well, that, like, I don't feel like the f- friends or acquaintances who think in that manner don't stay around that long, you know? Like, you kind of just tend to spend your time with people who are more the type of thinking that you want to go with, where they don't see the world as black and white, or they don't have the the mentality of, of limitation, you know, I mean, I have a lot of friends across a lot of circles, but for the most part, they pretty much believe that anything is possible still, you know. I think my, you know, maybe my parents were are a little, uh, you know, like at first, and maybe still now, a little, like they worry, you know. They're like, oh, really, you're going to leave this great job with, okay, um, and you know they're they're great people so they don't they don't ever say oh that's a terrible idea they just kind of like ask those questions like are you are you sure you're going to okay you got health insurance okay if you got it. and still every time i talk to my dad on the phone and my mom too it's like oh so you got enough work coming in like yeah yeah i got enough i got enough work you know <laughs> so they worry but but i think for the most part most most friends are are like you know most of the people i rely on for for real advice aren't don't think negatively like generally if they think you know if you think you can do it they believe you so and if right whether they will do it or not on their own yeah maybe not but and i have those friends they they probably won't ever do what i'm doing even if they want to but at least they they're like all right well he's laying on his feet so far like let's give him the benefit of the doubt type thing yeah like if it doesn't work out we have a guest bedroom for you for (laughs) you know like things like that and you know that's that's great to have and because I have I have met people the conversation that we're like where they'll say something like yeah I would love to get into like outdoor photography or, or something like their adventure photography and I'm like yeah you should you know I have a lot of friends who just like so you know here you know they all have this origin story where they uh, you know either they went to 
you know, travel for six months and just took their camera and a, and a backpack or, or they went on one trip and just took a bunch of point and shoot photos and uploaded them to the internet. And then somebody found them here. And in the middle of telling that story, this person's like, oh yeah, I could never do that because this reason, this reason, and this reason. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I guess you can't then, you know? Right. Then you won't. Yeah. The big reason is you think you can't, you know, that's the problem, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think it, there's a lot of things that can, you know, influence that. And your social circle is definitely one of them. You know, if you're not, if you don't have people in your life who are doing those things or are thinking unconventionally, it's hard to, it's hard to run that by, you know, people and have them say, you're, you know, you're crazy. How could you do that? And I've I've kind of been in those situations before, been in that type of um, like working environment or social environment. And um, it's, I don't forget that that's out there, I guess, is what I would say. Right. But yeah, and, and I'm sure you have similar experience in those. Yeah, and I would even say that it's a day-to-day doubt. I mean, I don't know if... I keep thinking that the further I get down this path of, hey, you know, now you're three years in and you've been able to make it work and it's been up and down and up and down, but you're still doing it. I, I keep thinking that for me, okay, well, one day I'm going to wake up and not have any doubt. Like, that's going to be the end of it. I'm going to wake up and be like, you've made it. You're good. Now, for the, from now until you die, you're going to be happy with what you're doing. You're not going to doubt yourself. But really, you know, we're talking about it. And we're saying, do this and do that. And I think a lot of people listening are probably thinking, oh, yeah, well, maybe it comes naturally to you or, or whatever. But it is, for me, a day-to-day thing of saying... I know this is the right way. I'm happy with it. I'm very glad I'm doing it. But there are times throughout the day where I sit there and think, wait a second, maybe maybe you're not doing it right. You know, and 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 those creep up. And then luckily, I, over the last couple of years, like you mentioned, I've been able to find people who are supportive. My wife is supportive, friends who are supportive. So it is nice to have that, not just to to lean on in the kind of the big decisions, but also these little you know, sometimes I have to call someone and say, man, I'm just really feeling like I got nothing done today. And is this going to work? And they're like, settle down, man. It's one day, like wake up tomorrow and, and do it again or try something different. And I don't know if you feel that, but I found that it's really helpful in the little things as well as those big life altering decisions as well. Yeah. I mean, what, what keeps you going? Like why, you know, cause I think like both what we're talking about is we can go get jobs, you know, like or at least some job, you know, maybe we'd be a little behind, uh, but we could get a job that, you know, you go into every, every day. So, I mean, what keeps you moving like in the same direction? Like what keeps you returning to being like, no, no, I'm going to stick it out for another few days or months. This is the end of part one of my interview with Brendan. But if you like this, you're definitely going to want to tune into part two, which starts with Brendan flipping the script and actually asking me a few questions that leads us into talking about the quote unquote busy trap and why it's important to go out and search for that new taco stand. Brendan also gives some very poignant advice for traveling and tells you why you should always, always carry a spoon with you when you travel. So if you want to listen to part two, you can find that on iTunes, Stitcher. Of course, you can find that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. And if you're listening to this live and you want to jump right into another podcast, here are two great recommendations for you. Epop 
55, episode 55, our top 10 road trips. Heather and I discuss the best places that we have taken road trips to. And EPOP 50, The Road Headed West with Leon McCarran. I also want to remind you guys that the Light Camera Switzerland competition, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, that ends on May 5th. Heather and I have the opportunity to win a chance to become our very own travel TV show Hosts. So it's all based on online voting. Also, if you do vote, you can win a free 10 day trip to Switzerland, all expenses paid, including airfare or some other cool travel gear from some great companies. So you can vote by going to Lights Camera Switzerland.com. Our entry is obviously Travis and Heather S. We would love for your support. You can vote once per email address. You can also share it with your friends and get extra entries so that you have a better chance of winning that free trip to Switzerland. That would be awesome if we are over there filming and you're the one who gets to come on a 10-day all-expenses-paid trip to Switzerland with us. So the voting does end May 5th, and you can head to Lights, Camera, Switzerland.com. Check that out. Cast your vote. As always, a big thank you to our sponsors, Tortuga Backpacks. Don't forget to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capitals, when you make your purchase from TortugaBackpacks.com, and that will give you 10% off your entire order. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Thank you for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll see you.